If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting Glass Tire. All of the money we raise, since we are a nonprofit, goes right back into our coverage of Texas's art and artists. Our coverage is supported thanks to readers and listeners like you. If you would like to contribute, you can do so at glasstire.com forward slash donate. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hello and welcome to Art Dirt. This is a podcast where we at Glass Tire talk about topical art topics. I am Brandon Zeck. I am Jessica Fuentes. And today we're talking about, uh, well, we're using a film that we watched recently to have a kind of larger conversation about what it's like to try and make it in the art world. Uh, The film that we're coming off of is... Uh, the Art of Making It, which is a 2021 documentary um, that was made and released. It was it's it's been shown uh, across the U.S. Um, it was most recently shown in Texas at the Marfa Invitational Art Fair, or as a program of the Marfa Invitational Art Fair. You can also rent it on Amazon or probably other places too. So this is something that you can watch if you would like to. Um, I had started to watch this film. A while back, I was probably like six or eight months ago and got halfway through and for no real reason just got busy, ended up stopping halfway through and wasn't able to finish it. Uh, So I was pleased at the opportunity to revisit it, um, both for the Marfa Invitational and for this conversation. So with that, uh, Jessica, what did you think about the film? Oh, let's see. There's so much to say. Um, I guess like my first impressions were this is a really great film for anybody who doesn't know much about the art world. Um, It's a great introduction to how the art world currently works and a little bit of how it got there. Um, But I would also say that for people who are familiar with the art world in any vein of it, either as an artist, as a gallerist, working in museums, I would say there weren't very many surprises. Yeah, I would I would agree. Um, the interesting thing, just kind of as a baseline of what this film does, is it says, or it has people in it who say some of the quiet parts out loud. Um, you know, some of these... Uh, folks who are featured in it are people who may be kind of known for saying the quiet parts out loud at this point. People like um, Kenny Schachter, people like uh, Stefan Simshowitz, uh, people like Helen Molesworth. Um, it's it's a really interesting cast of characters that are interviewed in it because it does have like Michael Govan. It does have uh, Valerie Kessel Oliver, who used to work at the cam in Houston. Um, it has Charles Gaines, the artist. Um, but then it, it's, it's, it seems that it's almost telling two contemporary, but kind of different stories about 
um, the larger implications and the larger things that we don't really talk about, but we all know about in the art world. And then also individual stories of artists that are, you know, maybe told over a year and a half of making the documentary, but in some ways also feel a little bit like we don't dig as much into their stories as maybe we could have to help highlight how they fit within this whole system of the art world. Yeah, I found myself wondering what the time period was, like from beginning to start, that the filming took place. Do you know how long they took to film this? I don't for sure. It does start before COVID. Um, I want to say it either started in mid to late 2019 or very early 2020. This was kind of um, one of the documentaries that fell on the edge of having been in progress before COVID happened and then kind of got to trace how COVID affected its own story, um, which which is uh, it was a big opportunity for people who just happened to kind of catch that window. Um, it made me think a little bit about there's a documentary on PBS um, that was supposed to be about the Metropolitan's uh, the Metropolitan Museum of Arts, what, 200th anniversary? I'm trying to remember which anniversary we just passed. Um, but that filming was, you know, starting in the lead up to the anniversary, and then the anniversary, if I'm not mistaken, was the year of COVID. So it kind of bled into COVID and then everything that happened, which, you know, I feel like in some ways um, – the documentaries that were started in 2019 or early 2020 ended up not kind of actually being able to be what they were actually about because they got co-opted by being about the current moment, which was COVID and, you know, the, how are we describing it now? The racial reckoning that happened in the summer of 2020 or just the refocus or the realization of police brutality um, or the wider realization it's always happened. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like this, that happened to this documentary, either for better or for worse. I don't really know because who knows what kind of documentary it would have been without the COVID storyline and everything kind of coming in mid, uh, mid shoot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, what I would have liked to see um, is rather than an hour and a half documentary, um, like a multi-episode um show about these topics so that we could follow some of these personal stories over a longer period of time because that is something that I left um at the end wondering is you know well where are they now what happened um and that is part of what makes a good film right is that it is engaging it gets you interested it makes you want to go and do more work on your own afterwards um but it, I could have easily binged more <laughs> if they had produced more or if there was a follow-up um, to kind of show what's going on with some of these personal stories. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it, those personal stories, uh, I, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but they were punctuated by like wider moralizing elements of what the art world is, which um, – in a sense, Jessica, I, I agree with you that, like, 
it kind of wasn't anything new for me. But at the same time, I feel like if my parents were to watch this documentary, they'd kind of be able to understand some of the weird complexities of this world that are either you know, too hard or too complicated or not on the surface or anything like that for me to just easily convey to them. I feel like it did a really good job at laying out all of those things which are, I mean, they're absurdities, but they're also kind of grim realities of what the art world is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think this would also be something that could be really beneficial for, let's say, um, high school students, anyone who's about to graduate to get a sense of like what they're really stepping into, Um, not necessarily to try to deter them, um, but just so they go into it with open eyes. Um, And I think that could help them better situate themselves and create a better plan for themselves as they move forward. Yeah. Well, just because, I mean, we've talked about this on previous podcasts, but I mean, even kids going into undergraduate art degrees oftentimes don't come out of a four-year program knowing some of the things that are in this documentary. I mean, I didn't, granted, I wasn't in an art program. I was in an art history program, but I didn't come out knowing, like, the the stories or the art pipeline of, like, smaller mid-tier and mega galleries and how people who sit on museum boards, you know, it's just, it's not something that's taught. So unless you're either really paying attention or you're really deep in it or you have kind of someone back channeling that information to you. It's just, it's something that's kind of hard to figure out on your own also because it isn't talked about, right? It's kind of the things that are like whispered about um, and to have actually someone say them in a documentary is, I think, really validating for everyone who has learned them in that way. Like, I know I learned all these things in that way, and to read articles where people talk explicitly about it or to watch this documentary where people talk explicitly about, you know, how um, uh, the, the proliferation of art schools means there are more artists now than ever, and most of them aren't artists who continue to make art after they graduate, and they graduate with $150,000 in debt, and just kind of all of this stuff that is related to school, but also just the larger art world, quote-unquote. It's it's just validating. Do you think this documentary does a good job at characterizing what it's like for young artists? Because they profile a few young artists, you know, someone who's based in Detroit, someone who's kind of a a little transient but based in New York primarily, at least for some of it. Um, One of the artists in the show, Jenna Gribben, ends up showing with Fredrickson Fraser, which is a New York gallery that uh, is in Chelsea and, like, sells out multiple shows. Do you think what they're shooting and what the documentary is communicating, like, if it was shown to undergraduates or to high school students, do you think it's a accurate picture of what it's like to be an artist trying to make it today? Because that is the whole point of this documentary, right? It's the art of making it. Yeah, I I felt like it resonated with me and with stories that I have heard um, from artists across Texas and at different points in their lives. Um, Yeah, 100%. I felt like it was very accurate. I don't know. Did you have a different perspective of that? 
I do think it felt somewhat accurate um, for them to have followed someone who ended up selling out a show in Chelsea as a, you know, somewhat emerging younger artist who uh, had just come out of an MFA program. That definitely does happen. (laughs) Um, At the same time, I feel like that is, of course, the exception rather than the norm. And I don't necessarily think if if I were someone who was kind of the uninitiated art world viewer um, who was watching this documentary and be like, oh, it is possible to make it, which it it not again, not to say it isn't. It totally is. But I feel like there may have uh, maybe if it had been couched just a little harder. <laughs> um but then again, at the same time, just a devil's advocate myself, I mean, they do talk about, like, the um, – within the documentary, they talk about how uh, this artist who um, was based in New York, who went to Hunter College, didn't go to Yale, and how one in five artists in Chelsea Galleries have a Yale MFA. And one of the artists that they also interviewed what had been kicked out of Yale's program. Um, so I do think they – and maybe allegedly, or at least what they allude to in the documentary is kicked out of Yale's program because maybe he wasn't making the type of art that Yale felt he should be making in order to become an art star. That was an allegation of one of his peers. Um, so I, you know, I, I think there's a, I think it's very easy to split hairs <laughs> on something like this, but I do think, I, I think there's a little bit of the, magical mystical still in there with the artist stories but i do think at the same time they did do a fairly good job of splitting the difference and showing that not everybody even if they can have access to a major pipeline are able to utilize it for you know whatever reason yeah i mean i i felt like um that yeah through the sharing of the statistics and that type of information they underscored that idea that um Jenna Gribben was an exception and and not the rule of what happens and i think Chris Watts' experience in particular is very relevant to how other artists of color that i know that i have spoken to have had similar types of experiences of um feeling like professors are not understanding their work or are trying to have them change their work aesthetically to kind of put them in a box of what they expect them to make or want to see them make. Um, And even artists who have been kicked out of programs um, for not really adhering to what the school wanted. One of the, one of the things that I learned from this that I didn't know um, was about uh, Jerry Gagosian. The um, She calls herself an artist, and um, I would... I've always referred to her as a meme maker, um, but uh, it's... So Jerry Gagosian, for the uninitiated, is an art meme Instagram account run by uh, Hildalyn Helfenstein, Um it was anonymous for a long time, and then she was outed by uh, some articles on Artnet because, of course, everybody wanted to know who was running the account. Um, but she talks in the documentary about um, <laughs> how she was 
really celebrated when she was anonymous and then of course she was outed and then all of a sudden she just started to get a ton of blowback and hate which i think is kind of the perfect microcosm (laughs) representative example of some of the many problems within the art world it's like she started to get blowback because she was being snarky and she was a woman who was being snarky. You know, it's it, with a name like Jerry Gagosian, people probably assumed it was a man. Um, then she founds, she's found out to be a woman. She starts to get blowback because she's just some wannabe who's trying to like be a part of the conversation. Um, whereas there are plenty other meme makers who we know are men who have just gotten glorified or been glorified the entire time. Um, Jessica, did you learn anything from the documentary? Was anything new to you? A lot of it was playing the hits that we are familiar with, but was anything surprising or did you see anything in a new way after watching it? Yeah, um, I think one of the things that I just really didn't know about historically was the beginning of the MFA programs um, and that the first MFA program was instituted in 1940 at the University of Iowa, which just feels like not that long ago. And it raises, again, like so many more questions for me about how and why did that start and um, and what happened before that. Um, I don't know. It's just like an area that I'd like to explore more. But I did think it was interesting because I would assume that Um, Both this issue with the MFA um, and the professionalization of artists um, is indicative and probably aligns with other kinds of degreed programs arising at the same time and the like further professionalization of many different fields. Um, I think about art education and how over the last couple of decades that has been very professionalized in the sense that Today, it would be difficult to get a job in a museum without a master's degree um, of some type. But let's say 30 years ago, um, it was probably rare for people to have master's degrees to be able to work in art education in the same way that it's needed now. Yeah. I mean, talk about uh, under the table conversations. Like, I I feel like I always talk with folks in Houston about like there are museum curators that have come through Houston uh, maybe namely at the CAM that haven't had MFAs or MAs rather in this case primarily Um, but that kind of isn't the case anymore it's almost like the generation of folks who are able to get those types of jobs based on previous experience alone and not having a master's degree anyone who kind of was that is 45 or 50 now and they're of the generation where now they still have the experience and have worked at those institutions so they have that pedigree so they can then continue to get jobs but anyone younger than that um it is it's hard because they're competing against, against people who on paper look a lot more educated. I say this also very consciously as someone who does not have a graduate degree. Um, you know, I, I think it's unique for me to be in the position that I am without having a graduate degree. And I'm fully conscious of that every day. Um, 
just because it's so much ingrained as a part of culture nowadays to have a graduate degree to be in this world. A lot of the issues that the documentary points out within the art world are issues within the world, period. Um, It's just mirrored, of course, in the art world. Um, So thinking about like how being a part of a capitalist society creates uh, the system in which, you know, some art is valued and other art is not um, and commodifies art. I think that's just indicative of a lot of the other things that are going on in the world right now. Um, And it was interesting to hear about um, different artists and different groups that are thinking about like how to counteract that, how to attempt to work outside of that system. Whenever I think about, you know, quote unquote, making it, um, I feel like I think about what that really means to different people. Because, of course, for a lot of artists, making it would mean that you have your shows that sell out at a major gallery and you have an exhibition, a retrospective at the Whitney. And, you know, there there's kind of a very clear path or a very clear um, accepted path of what it means to make it as an artist. Um, but at the same time, I feel like I know a lot of artists who would probably say that they've made it, or maybe they wouldn't say it that way. Maybe they would say that they are content and happy within their career that don't seem really to aspire that. Maybe the little voice at the back of their head ultimately would love it. I mean, who wouldn't? Um, but that's not what they're gunning towards, at least not in a very conscious way. Um, These are folks who uh, run small, like, house galleries or small nonprofit spaces in Texas, Um, folks who have been able to situate their lives so that they can make their work and it's appreciated by the people who appreciate it. And at the same time, they don't have to kind of doggedly battle it out in New York or LA in a way that would make them miserable as a person living in the world. Um, And I I would have been really interested if some of those, of course, maybe this is inching it into out of a documentary and into a series, Jessica, like you were mentioning, but, but to see or to hear from some artists who kind of feel that way Um, because another element of like the MFA program that you're talking about, I was surprised, I think I knew this before, but I had forgotten it, that the first MFA program was started at the University of Iowa. It wasn't in LA, it wasn't in New York, it wasn't, it was It was in Iowa. It was in what people call the flyover country. And, like, to have the old, the, the, the University of Iowa valuing arts education in that way, or, you know, it was 1940. I don't know. Maybe did they see it as a money grab? Did they see it as, you know, who knows? Um, I haven't done that research. But the fact that it wasn't started in what we think of as an art center, I think, is significant in some way. Um, and it shows that there were artists who went to the University of Iowa to get that program and other places saw it as successful or meaningful or profitable or, you know, I'm sure of combination of factors that include economic ones. Um, 
they saw that as a reason to bring it to other places, which was just it, which is interesting to think about. Similarly, um, the documentary didn't hit super hard on the value of being in New York or L.A. Like if we have the conversation about making it, you know, people will say you need to move to New York or you need to move to L.A. And I don't know if that was purposefully left out because, frankly, I feel like it's not a crucial thing and maybe the filmmakers feel the same way or if it was just kind of glossed over or implied by the fact that all of those major galleries that they were talking about have spaces in New York. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was interesting too. Um, I would kind of expect to have seen them talk more about that explicitly. Um, But maybe I think like, again, in Chris Watts story, it's kind of highlighted and the fact that he was there temporarily kind of trying it out, but also not, um, set on the idea of staying there. So I think there were some subtle ways that they approached that. Um, did you have any other takeaways, Jessica, or things that the documentary made you think about when you have these kinds of conversations with artists? Um, I think for me, the biggest takeaway is is partially what you were just talking on, you know, the idea of like, what does it mean to make it? And what do emerging artists want to make of their art and of the art world moving forward, right? Like um, places like galleries and museums succeed because people continue to invest in them and put their time and energy towards those things. Well, their time and energy and money towards those things. Um, And just thinking about, you know, what will the art world look like in the next 30, 40, 50 years, what will people put their time, money, and energy towards? Um, Because I think it could be, I think we could be at a pivotal moment where things are really shifting, both in our society in this moment um, and also in the art world. Can I ask, uh, back when you were a young, fresh-faced, ignorant artist starting out, what did you think making it meant or what did it mean to you? Or were those the same or different things? Honestly, I feel like I, I had no idea, you know, I, I really had no clue of what it meant to be an artist. Um, it was not something I had really been exposed to, um, as a young person, it's not something my family spent time and energy on at all. Um, and so for me, you know, coming out of high school, it meant getting a free scholarship to go to school to study art. Like that was big. Um, and what I did after that, I didn't know (laughs) what I was going to do or how, um, or what making it would look like, but just being able to focus time and energy on creating, um, is kind of what I was working towards and wanting to do. What about you? Um, you know, I came, like I said, I came from or into art history, so I didn't necessarily want to be an artist. I didn't want my artwork to be shown in museums. You know, I was in like a University of Houston library student show with a badly made lino cut. Um, but that wasn't my dream per se. But I, I, I feel like I kind of had a parallel experience, like coming out of high or uh, coming out of high school, um, I knew I 
liked art history thanks to an a, a junior class that I took in high school and I knew I wanted to study art history and to look at art and probably write about it. Um, but I had no idea what that meant success wise. I didn't come from an art background. I didn't go to museums or art museums when I was a kid. Like I didn't know the things that you could do with an art history degree or what that meant. I didn't know being a curator was a thing. I didn't know being an art handler was a thing. Like I just knew that I liked looking at and deducing what was going on in a picture. So it kind of was the same for me. Like I got a scholarship to the University of Houston, which is why I went there and was able to look at art and kind of use Houston's art scene and internships that I had at various organizations and the Menil and the MFAH to like their maximum potential. And that was what it meant. I didn't, I didn't want to be, or I didn't even know I could want to be a director at Gagosian or a, or a curator at MoMA. Like those weren't within my vocabulary when I was starting out. I just knew that I liked looking at and figuring out art. So I think my version of making it was being able to do that in some capacity Maybe as a job, hopefully. <laughs> Which, as we all know, there aren't that many jobs to do that. So I've been very fortunate to be able to have a job where I actually, where that's an integral part of it. And with that, uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, if you want to watch The Art of Making It, um, we'd recommend it. So you can find it on Amazon. You can find it um anywhere else i think it's on google play it's on apple tv you know all that jazz um we will be back in two weeks with another art dirt episode uh until then we recommend that you check out our event listings we recommend that you see what's happening in your neck of the woods across texas or beyond and with that go see some art go see some art This podcast was recorded by Glass Tire and edited by William Saradet. Copyright Glass Tire 2023.